I don't know about other cultures as much, but at least in our culture, American culture, uh, we collectively pause. Uh, we think about the past year's events. Uh, any media outlet puts out their top stories for the year, right? 2023. I was looking at some of the top things this morning. Uh, the top song was by Morgan Wallen. Um, the top thing searched was YouTube and Amazon. I know for a fact we contributed to Amazon. Uh, the Let's see. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary said the top word was authentic, followed closely by deep fake. Uh, those are kind of connected. But there's all this, what was significant about this previous year? What was significant about this previous time? And so that's common. That's something that we, we kind of naturally do. And whether you do New Year's resolutions or don't really makes me no difference. Uh, this message won't be for or against um, but I want to look specifically at the idea of reflection, specifically biblical reflection and kind of the pattern uh, that's presented in Scripture. We're only going to be able to touch on a little bit of it. Uh, and I think that runs parallel with some of the things that we naturally do anyway. But uh, what I want to advocate for is, is not that once a year you do some biblical reflection, but a practice uh, that you put into your daily pattern of living, your weekly pattern of living. Uh, and I think we see it in a lot of different places, and we'll hit some of those this morning. In uh, just a few years ago, uh, Harvard Business School did a study on reflection. Not biblical reflection, but just the idea of reflection. And so they took uh, these different folks from different uh, industries, whether it be logistics or manufacturing or uh, just all kinds of uh, different uh, environments and backgrounds, and essentially what they did is they, they gave each person a puzzle. It's not that simple, but essentially they gave them a puzzle. And they said, we want you to figure this puzzle out, and we're going to time you. Uh, and the, the time became like a baseline. Uh, after they give them the puzzle, they work on it, they solve it, uh, and they get whatever time they get, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it may be. And then they give them a choice. They say, we want you to do it again, and we want you uh, to improve your time. But you've got two options. We'll let you go to this other room and just work on similar type puzzles, and you can practice. Or you can stay here with this one. You can't touch it, but you can look at it, and you can think about it, and you can reflect on it, and um, then you can do it again. Now, there were two things that were interesting, I thought, about this study. One, almost everybody chose to practice. They didn't want to reflect. They'd, I just want to do more of it. If I can do it and do it and do it and do it, I'll get better at it and my time will improve. The second thing is, is that the people that chose to actually reflect on the puzzle and how they were going to solve it actually did better, significantly. And so there's some things that, that modern social sciences would support about this idea of reflection, but I don't want to get too specific on that. What I want to do is focus our idea on filtering everything that we think and do through God's Word. We're going to use a couple of examples from Scripture to do that. Everybody with me? Make sense? I'm going, to be, I'm going to be real authentic, since that's the most popular word, in 2023, uh, and say that this is something that I've spent a lot of time with in recent months. But it's not something uh, until this last week that I really tried to think about in terms of a sermon and presenting it this way. Uh, and so I'm trying to kind of narrow my scope a little bit. 
So if it gets too crazy, stay with me, and then just ask me whatever questions you have afterward. Deal? All right. Turn to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, and we're going to look at most of this chapter, but not quite all of it. We looked last week briefly uh, during our service at Luke 2.19. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Dave did a a good job in just a few moments uh, capturing the idea of what she was doing as she treasured up these moments uh, around the birth of her son Jesus. But it's interesting, if you go back to verses 17 and 18, it says, And when they, they is the shepherds, so when the shepherds saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. There's a couple different translations on that. Uh, that word, this is the ESV that says that they wondered. And then verse 19 says, but. But Mary treasured these things. A lot of people saw, the shepherds saw and they heard and they told, and they wondered about these things. They considered them, they gave them some thought. But there was a distinction in what the shepherds did and what Mary did. Shepherds wondered about it. Eh, I wonder about a lot of things. You wonder about a lot of things. There's an internal dialogue that's going on inside of you. Some of you have more of that than others. And some of you that's better than others. But there's always an internal dialogue that's going on within, within you, within your mind. You wonder about this thing or that thing. Or this event or that event. Or you remember things that have happened in the past. Or uh, maybe wonder about what will happen in the future. That's kind of what the shepherds were doing. And I know it may seem small, but Luke makes it clear that what they did and what Mary did was different. Dave hit on this, this idea of of treasuring what she was experiencing, what she was seeing, storing it away so that she she could ponder it so that she could contemplate it so that she could reflect on it so that at some point later on down the road she could she could remember these things and see the activity of God in her life which would inform how she would live her life in the future so i want to kind of continue with that idea just a little bit in psalm 77 and see if i can highlight a little bit more this distinction let me be authentic one more time the main point of psalm 77 is not what i'm preaching today um it's the main idea is really about having confidence in god The psalmist isn't trying to teach reflection necessarily as he writes this. Uh, I'm pulling on some principles that are there. Not exactly what we normally do on Sunday mornings when we preach. Not exactly the best approach to a consistent Bible study or sermon writing. Uh, And so I'm being clear with you about that up front. But for this idea of reflection, I think the psalmist, uh, Asaph, gives us a good example of what we do. Maybe not always well, and then the, the way that we reflect in a much more biblical manner, in a way that is life-giving, as opposed to one that drains us. Make sense? 
I'm not sure you guys are tracking with me this morning. Here we go. We're going to go through this. I'm not going to read it all at once. I'm going to go just a couple of verses, two or three verses at a time, uh, and make a few comments about them. Psalm 77, verse 1 says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up. Some translations say stretched out all night long. I refused to be comforted. Now, we're going to look at this idea of reflection in a very general sense. This text, uh, Asaph is writing about a very difficult time. He says, I cry aloud. Generally, sometimes we cry tears of joy, but uh, he's, he's crying, he's, he's yelling out. His arms are stretched out, speaking to God, wanting to hear from God. He refused to be comforted. I thought, or I think about children when they're small, uh, when they get injured. Whether it's a significant injury or not, it hurt. And they're crying. And there are times where they absolutely refuse to be comforted. It doesn't matter what you do or what you say. They're not going to stop until they've got that all out of their system. You know what I'm talking about? It just keeps on and on and on. They refuse to be comforted. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say. They're hurting. This is Asaph. Now, let me point out, if you look in the superscription at the top of the psalm, this is for the choir director, according to Jeduthun of Asaph, a psalm. Asaph and Jeduthun, they're like the Levitical worship team. They're very familiar with Yahweh, with his law. Their role is to lead the people of Israel in worship. Now, that's, that's going to be significant in just a moment. They're not folks that are, that are unfamiliar with God. Not only are they familiar with Yahweh, they have a very significant role in leading his people to worship, which is important. And here they are, as he's writing this, there's, some debate about what the event was that caused them to feel this way. He uses some personal pronouns here, which makes them think maybe it was personal. But the fact that it was given to the choir to be sung among all the people uh, leads one to think that maybe it was a significant event, a, a national disaster, so to speak, that has not just these guys concerned, but all the people concerned. And that's exactly what he is. He's concerned. He refuses to be comforted. Verse 3, he says, I think of God, and I groan. I meditate, and my spirit becomes weak, or I faint. Have you ever found it difficult to focus your attention on God? That, that you were hurting in some way, the, the young lady that my wife read about, as she wrote this song, Oh, Come All You Unfaithful, that, that she was supposed to be singing, but she couldn't make herself sing. She, she wanted to give her attention. She wanted to give her efforts, her focus, her energy to God, but it, it was as if she was faint. She couldn't even step on stage. He says, I thank of God and I, I groan. But we're supposed to be joyful. He's like, I'm not. He's expressing his, his sorrow. 
his grief in these first few verses. He continues in verse 4. He says, you've kept me from closing my eyes. I'm troubled and, and cannot speak. Now it's God's fault. The English translation, it gets a little bit lost here. The depiction of this is that the, the eyelids are like shields that protect and guard the eye in the Hebrew. And he's saying, you've kept them open. I, I can't even close my eyes to sleep it, because of you. Verse 5, he says, I think this is interesting. He says, I consider days of old, years long past. Now, we've all had some type of experience to where we felt sorrow or grief or whatever this is, whatever that, that negative feeling was, uh, whether it's angst and anxiety or, or anger and rage or, or just kind of, uh, you know, the emoji, the meh. Uh, you just, you're not feeling it on some level or degree or another. And here, he says that when he felt that way, he says he began to consider the days of old. Now, you might think that's reflection, but I don't think it is. I don't think what he's saying right here is reflection. I think he's reminiscing. You hear people talk about that, the good old days. Man, I wish it was just like it was in the good old days. You may have done that right now during the holidays. Man, I wish it was like it was when I was a child. Or I wish it was like it was at this particular season of my life. I wish it was the good old days. Which is different. There's a distinction here. This is more like the idea of, of wondering. I wonder what's going to happen with this baby Jesus. Like it's pretty cool that we got to be a part of this and see this. And, and here they are. Here's the family. We told everybody that we need to tell about it. I wonder what it will be like in the future. But hey, we got to go take care of those sheep. Here in a different type of encounter. One that's, that's painful for the writer. In his pain. In his, in his agony. He begins to think about the good old days. Verse 6, he says, At night I, I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders. Same idea. He's thinking about uh, music. You have songs that when they're played, you kind of go somewhere else. It reminds you of a, a different time. Uh, and, and maybe a better time, maybe a worse time. But when you hear it, you're immediately taken to that period of time in your life. This is what he's doing. He is writhing in pain, I think, as he writes this. We read this. We can read this entire chapter in about a minute. But you think about the emotions that he's expressing as he shares this. This is something that's happening over a long period of time. And it hurts. He doesn't have answers. And he knows that God hears him. He states that. He, I've been with outstretched arms. God, please. But nothing. I think of you and, and I groan. It, 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 my body hurts almost. I meditate on you. I try, I, try to, I try to think about you and I grow faint. I grow weak. So I'll just think about a time gone past that was better. I'll focus my attention on that. Then he begins to, he really begins to, to question God. Verse 7, he says, will the Lord reject forever 
and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? One who's very familiar with God is now questioning God. Not so much what God is doing or not doing, but but who are you? I thought you were this. You've shown yourself to be this in the past, but right now, I don't know. I don't feel that. I want to. But maybe something's changed. Maybe, maybe I've misunderstood. Verse 10. This is kind of the climax of Asaph's grief. He says, so I say, I'm grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Now this is, I'm reading specifically from the Christian, Christian Standard Bible today. I normally use the ESV. Dave normally uses the ESV. Um, I prefer this translation in the CSB. This verse in particular, there's, there's a lot of variation. As you look at the different translations, there's a lot of variations of how uh, this verse is translated. And it seems, as the CSB has has phrased it here that Asaph has got to a point to where his conclusion is his his pain has led him to this position that he's now going to draw a conclusion. And his conclusion is not about himself. His conclusion is about God. One who is not unfamiliar with God but is very familiar with God. One who stands before the people regularly to lead them in worship of God. And his conclusion is that God must have changed. Now, so that we don't drift into theological error, we know that the Bible teaches that God does not change, that he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in this moment, as Asaph is writing, his, his thoughts, his feelings, his experiences have led him to draw this conclusion. And like I said, this is kind of the pinnacle of his, his grief, his agony, as he thinks about this. He's not really reflecting so much He's crying out to God. He's trying to do the things that he thinks he ought to. He's doing the things that maybe in the past he's seen results or he's heard God in that moment. But none of that has worked. And this tragedy, this, this specific experience that's brought such pain, such emotion, he concludes with nothing else but, I guess God changed. It was not me. It must be God. That's a scary place to be. A dangerous place to be. But we know that that's not true. And he very quickly corrects this. It very quickly turns. It goes from from his grief and from his agony and from his pain, from his remembering the good old days of thinking of a better time, to his conclusion that God must have changed to... Wait, hold on a second. There's some things that I do know. Verse 11. He says, I will remember the Lord's works. 
Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. He goes from thinking that God has changed to, wait, hold on, God hasn't changed. I know that God hasn't changed. In fact, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to, to recount, I'm going to recollect, I'm going to recall, I'm going to reflect on all that I know that you have done. Your great works, your ancient wonders. I'm not going to sit and to dwell on what I've done or what I'm doing or how I'm feeling. The way that I'm going to move myself through this is by focusing all my attention on what you have done. What I know to be true about you, God, and your character, these are the things that are going to hold me fast, that are going to carry me through this time. Regardless of whether you speak now or whether you're silent. Whether I, I hear a loud, booming voice or you're mute. I know these things to be true, and these things are going to inform what I do moving forward. See, that's the difference in, in reflection and maybe uh, reminiscing. That's the difference in, in biblically focusing our attention on God and who God is versus just remembering maybe the good old days. You likely have been a part of a church at some point in your life uh, to where there were some folks there that maybe just wanted everything to be like it was in the good old days. And so things didn't ever change. Or maybe you have family members that are that way. There's a difference in, in this idea of biblical reflection, using God's word to filter, to, as Cameron read to, in 2 Corinthians, to look as in a mirror at God, to allow God to be a mirror to our lives, to, to look and to see the areas that, that need to be different, that need to change. Not to conclude that God must have changed there's a difference. He continues. In the rest of the chapter, I'll read a couple more verses. The rest of the chapter is, is basically him doing this now. Deciding to remember who God is. To reflect on who God is. Verse 12, he says, I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. God, your way is holy. What God is great like God. You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power you redeemed your people and descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And he continues. Again, the context of this specific passage is, is less the focus today than the process of what is taking place. I think he gives us a very good example of what often happens in our lives. When things aren't going well or when we've experienced some type of trouble or difficulty or suffering. We've naturally come to a pause as we've come to the end of the year. It's one of the few times in our life that that naturally occurs. Collectively as a society. That we, that we pause to think back about what's happened. Other times when that's kind of natural is when things go poorly. Those are times when we we tend to think back or, or to set aside special time to speak to God, to hear from God, to plead with God. God, please intervene in my life. But one of the things I mentioned at the very beginning is, is as we think about this idea of reflection, what I'm really advocating for today is that you consider putting a practice in your life that will add tremendous value, that, that the pauses, the times of reflection don't come merely at the end of the year, which 
quickly run past and then life is just as it was all of last year. Or in those moments of great despair and difficulty where you find that, that everything around you is, is difficult and challenging. And so because of that, now I'm going to, to pause my life to reach out to God. But for a pattern of living to where you, you set aside time daily to do this. To reflect on what God is doing today in your life. To make it a practice so that, that when the challenging times come, that, that you're not guessing at what God wants you to do. Or hoping that you hear from God, but, but that, you're, that you're tuned to God's activity in your life. That you're tuned to see and to hear what God is doing in and around you. Biblical reflection gives insight into your current reality. Pausing to think about what is happening right now or what has happened this past week. In this case, to think about what has happened this past year. To be intentional to to really think what, what was going on. What actions took place. What was I thinking in this moment? How did I feel because of, of this comment that was made? And then how did I respond? It gives insight into our current reality. It provides clarity to our, to our image of God. We can reflect on a lot of things in a lot of different ways. The, the military has a, a, a process, a method that they use. Different companies uh, have processes that they use to try to be more efficient, to try to be better at a particular task. One common one is called the OODA loop, to orient, to observe, to decide, and act. It was developed in the Air Force for fighter pilots to be able to think on the spot and make split-second decisions. But it's a, it's a way for them to, to do this, to, ref, to reflect and to react Quickly. Not just to keep doing the same thing and the same thing and the same thing and the same thing over and over and over again. But to take in the information, to take in the experience, to pause, to think about it for a moment, and then to filter it through the Word of God. And in doing so, this provides clarity to our to our understanding of who God is, to to the image that we have of God to what he desires. We're not guessing. We're not making it up. We're, we're going right here. Or we are remembering truths that we already know about God like Asaph did. Or, or there's times where we think, I don't know how I should respond to this. And so we, we go and we look and we pour over the pages. Looking at God's word, not as a not as a handbook or a guide to how we personally should live our life, but remember, we just spent two years going through the story of God. This is the story of God. And as we look in that and we see what God does and who he is, we overlay that on our own lives to determine our next course of action. Not did God change, but how do I change? This is what happened. This is, this is what I was thinking. This was how I felt, but here's what God's word says. And this informs, it guides my next act in following Jesus. Biblical reflection or theological reflection is not about 
just thinking. It's about action. We participate in some action. We pause to think on that, to think through how God would desire us to to interact in that relationship or in that circumstance. And we allow God's word to determine what our next action will be. Let me give you another example. I think we see a pattern of this uh, in the early pages of Scripture. Uh, You can turn to Genesis 1 if you like. I'm not going to read a whole lot of that, but there in the the very first pages in chapter 1 in the creation narrative, I think we see a pattern of reflection. Action, reflection, and then action. In Genesis 1, 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, 21, and 25, it says, And God saw that it was good. God created. God, uh, he, he creates, he separates, he orders, he names things, he blesses things. And then we see at the, the end of each one of these episodes, God pauses and he looks, he observes, and he evaluates what he's done. And in his case, he determines that it was all good. And that determines his next step. And then we see in verse 31, he says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. For God to do that, God himself had to pause and to reflect over what has just taken place. So that he can now move on to the next thing. Probably, well not probably, none of us will be able to consistently, I don't think, look and say, oh, that was good. Or that was very good. There may be times where you look and think, ah, I really, I really fouled that up. Or maybe that was okay, but I could have responded this way. Or I've been saying this thing, but I'm actually living this way. See, the idea of this, the idea of reflection is really about aligning ourselves with God. It's about uh, closing the gap between what we say we believe and how we actually live. Because we can communicate often all the right theology and yet struggle to live that out. Pausing, intentionally pausing to think about what has just transpired. How does God's word inform that experience? And then how do I adjust moving forward? This is the the significance of it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, which we already read, says, We all, with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. We reflect on our lives by looking at God. By looking at God's Word. As in a mirror. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? Well, we all see something a little bit different. When I look in the mirror now, it's different than when I looked in the mirror 20 years ago. Simple things like hair or wrinkles. My skin looks a little different. 
My teeth look a little bit. I see these things when I look in the mirror about myself. But the idea is that, that we're looking at ourselves because we're looking at God. We're looking at his story. And as we look at that, it says looking in a mirror and we see the, the things in our life that, that may be big, that may be small. They, they may be sinful or they may be things of great joy. As I look at God's word at, at times and I see how he's worked in my life and how it's different now than it was 10 years ago or one year ago or 20 years ago. And it brings me great joy. And then I look at times and I think, ah, there's some adjustments that really need to be made in my life. Again, the, the point is not for you to just have a, a great moment as you think about 2023, what's 2024 going to look like. What I really hope to encourage and, and hope that you would consider is how do you make this a part of your daily living, your regular pattern of life? So that you can, you can daily close that gap between what you say you believe and how you actually live. It's not really linear. It doesn't always work that way. It's not just high and to the right all the time. But it's that consistent reflection when we see that, oh, maybe I've dropped off with this. Oh, goodness God has been doing this thing in my life, and I didn't even know it. Because I'm steady just doing the same thing, day in and day out. Never recognizing the voice of God or the hand of God as He's guiding you through these different circumstances. Let me give you, with it's on your sheet, your note sheet, a very simple acronym. This is one way, one thing that you can use as you think about this idea of of reflecting. It's with the acronym using the word pray. Is it acronym? Is that right? Is that the right word? I think so. I don't know. P, pause. If you don't set intentional times in your day to do nothing but be with the Lord, you won't ever do it. You just won't. It'll happen occasionally. But there'll be no reason for it. it, it Maybe something significant has happened in your life, good or bad. But pause daily, setting those times aside. Reflect. When I say that, meaning recount a previous experience thoroughly. Think about the things that took place, the people that were involved. And then assess that. Evaluate your own thoughts, your feelings, your actions. What was I thinking in this moment that caused me to do this thing? How did I feel Right before I said this. And then how does God's word inform all of that? How does God's word inform what I was feeling? How does it inform what I was thinking? How does it inform what I actually did in that moment? And then lastly is yield. After evaluating that to determine the next best course of action. The, 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 the next best step for you to take in your walk with Jesus. Submitting that to God. As you think about this past year, whether you're intentional about it today or tomorrow, or you've already determined what your, your New Year's resolution will be, or you're totally against New Year's resolutions, it doesn't matter. I encourage you for whichever one of this. But what I hope 
that you can take from this as you move into 2024 is how do I set these patterns in my life? How do I set these practices in my life? So that I can be intentional in, in pursuing Jesus. We know that sanctification happens by the hand of God as he, he transforms our lives. But we also know that he calls us to be intentional in following him. So this is a way that we can do it. It's a, it's a way that, that, that we can worship. It's a, it's a means by which we worship. It's a means by which we do pray. Not simply giving a wish list to God, asking God to do these things or those things, but to sit and to be with God and to see how he would adjust our lives to align ourselves with him and to close that gap between what we say we believe and what we actually do. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing one last song. Before we do, we're going to pray. As we pray, I want you to take a moment. We're pausing right now to consider this past year, this past week. Maybe to consider your morning. I don't know. But to look as you, as you consider this past year, as you consider your life, to look and to see where was God at work? In 2023. What was God doing in your life that maybe you missed? Maybe you didn't respond to. Maybe you pretended like it wasn't there. What was God's activity in your life? And and what is God prompting you to in 2024? How is God prompting you to make changes today, tomorrow, next week? You don't have to have all the answers to that today. When you only reflect once a year, maybe there's pressure to do that. But when you make it a pattern of your life, you figure out, hey, I can figure these things out each day with the Lord. So we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you and for us, and then we're going to sing one last song. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your, your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, that you desire this relationship with us. Lord, teach us to teach us to pray as your disciples ask. Lord, teach us to hear your voice. Lord, teach us to live in a way that exalts your name above all others. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.